guys, Jack here. Zach and I are extremely excited for our event with Thinking Poker this weekend. The whole thing is going to be streamed on Twitch at twitch.tv slash pokeronair, and there's a link to that page in this week's show notes. Uh, the action will kick off Friday night around 8 p.m. when Zach and I take on Nate and Andrew from Thinking Poker in a four-handed no-limit game. Then, on both Saturday and Sunday, we'll be streaming the live sessions with our commentary from noon to four and again from six to ten. If you're busy, or you don't want to spend 20 hours hearing my voice next weekend, don't fret. All the footage will make it to YouTube sooner than later. However, if you're bored at home or at the table, do tune in. Um, There are a couple of seats left on Saturday and Sunday night. To sign up or get more information, head to JustHandsPoker.com slash ThinkingPokerNYC. Hey, Jack. Hello, Zach. What's going on? Not much. Enjoying this heat and mushroom tea. How's the cold treating you? The cold is brutal. Uh, I'm recording this podcast in the great outdoors, and uh, this time of year, well, I guess it's a little bit unseasonably cold, uh, but it's, yeah, it's like 25 degrees outside, and there's an impending snowstorm, uh, so hopefully I'll make it back to my place before then. But for now, happy to be on the phone with you guys recording a podcast uh, I'll be muting as often as possible to avoid any uh, background noise. Untimely background noise. Like what's going yes. on right now? Uh, I'm at a train. <laughs> I'm at a train station to give you a little bit of context. Uh, but yeah, excited to talk some hands, and it's not just you and I here today. Uh, Zach, why don't you introduce today's guest? So today we have a man that needs no introduction. He is poker's foremost vlogger. We're talking Andrew Neem from Las Vegas. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. Uh, I have two bits of news for you. First of all, the uh, the last name is actually Nimi. Ah. <laughs> no worries, though, because I actually had to put out a, uh, a a segment in one of the blogs explaining how to pronounce my last name because it's uh, a pretty common uh, mispronunciation that's been going on my entire life. So no sweat. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the other piece of info is that it's actually uh, 82 degrees here in Las Vegas. So... <laughs> Just uh, just to put that out there in case, uh, I don't know, anyone's considering a trip out of the uh, the cold, uh, I suggest I, Las Vegas at this time of year. Yeah, that sounds beautiful. I actually just got back from Florida, which was similarly beautiful, excellent action. Uh, and I always say, like, my my family is in Florida, so and I, but I grew up in Ohio, and one of my favorite feelings every time of year is stepping out of the airport in Florida and just feeling like the flood of heat. And then consequently, the worst feeling of the year is like <laughs> stepping out of the airport back up north. And yesterday I got out uh, in Newark and it was like 20 degrees with a wind chill of 10 and it was just horrible. Uh, so I'm really, as much as I literally just got back from the warm, I'm extremely jealous. We'll see. I mean, we'll see with this global warming thing. Maybe uh, the Midwest will be uh, the new Florida. Yeah, who knows? Global warming, it's, it's all, you know, can we really, can we really know? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> um, so get, getting on with it, Andrew, we heard you have a hand for, uh, for us from a Bellagio 510 game. I do. I do. Let's, uh, we can just hop right into it here. So, yep, 510 at the Bellagio, and I'm sitting on, uh, I think, about $2,200 and look down at Ace-King offsuit from Under the Gun plus one. 
Go ahead and open it to 30. There's a player in early middle position, first first middle position, who you could say he's like you could say he's a uh, a self-admitted recreational player who <laughs> uh, very much likes to splash around and uh, yeah, as I said, self uh, self-admitted has he's he likes to talk about how he likes to fuel the games and uh, doesn't really care about the. Uh, the the money in play whatsoever. So this player, three bets to seventy dollars. The button and the big blind both cold call. And oh, and by the way, the uh, the middle position player who three bet, he's he's got a stack of about nine hundred dollars. Okay. The the button has fifteen hundred. Uh, the big blind covers all of us. So it's back to us with our first decision here. Do you want me to just keep going and just just no, say what no, I did? Well. Tell us, you know, what you were thinking. But before I get to you, tell us exactly what you did. Although that'll probably come out. Uh, yeah, just let us know sort of your general thoughts about the situation, and then we'll weigh in. So sure. So, so my thinking is at this point, Ace King does pretty well um, versus, especially versus this player's three bet range. And my thoughts are that the players who had cold called, if they have a really strong hand, uh, something that's not very speculative, more weighted towards something uh, like big pairs or even like an ace-king type hand. If they have something along those lines, they are definitely going to be looking to four-bet themselves because pretty much everyone is looking to play hands with the three-better. And if they have you know, a really good a premium hand, they are definitely going to be looking to put in a four-bet. So I feel like my hand is... Uh, very strong in this situation. And so I'm likely looking to put in a decent-sized 4-bet here. Yeah, and I, I really like the 4-bet here just because it doesn't really matter what the blinds do here. It's kind of a pretty good outcome each way, which is really nice. And as the player who 3-bet, as you described him, you know, you're crushing his range with ace-king. So if you get pocket fives to fold, great. You Now you're going to be heads up against you know a weak player, um, and if they call, well, now they're putting in, you know, more money and you have the initiative as the preflop raiser and they're likely going to fold on flops that you miss as well if you decide to see bet, although that becomes a little dicey in a three or four way pot. But yeah, I think, I think this is a pretty standard four betting spot. Yep. So that's what I do. I go ahead and I, th- I four bet and I make it $340. So I'm curious what you guys think about the sizing. So... Just real quick, when you're making it, because that's a fairly large four bet. Um, not so much in terms of like theoretical terms, in that like what you're you're not even forexing it if you add like the blinds who called like seventy dollars, so one forty, yeah. So it's it's theoretically like not that big of a bet, but I imagine like in a five ten game live, people are just going to perceive it as huge because oh my god, three hundred forty dollars. Yeah, like, is that a sizing? Because I would probably want to pick, like, a large sizing here for the goal of, like, getting the button to call with a wide range and then, like, probably getting the, the blinds to, like, fold pocket pairs would kind of be, like, my my goal with my 4-bet sizing. And I, I imagine a sizing like this probably accomplishes that because once a player like that 3-bets you, I can't really imagine them folding in position, even if it would be a large mistake not to, given your description, so... Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's pretty much along the lines that I was thinking. Yeah, pretty much. So, 
Yeah, and I do I do think that a, a three a size of 340 is perceived as pretty big in a in a 510 game. So, are you are you hoping to take it down here, you know, at some frequency? Because I think this is so small that yeah, I think the three better is almost never folding. And then I, I would just think that if we could make our opponent, you know, make more of a decision and put, sort of put put them into maybe more of a push hold spot, you know, at these at this stack depth, that might be advantageous, uh, especially since. You know, we have great equity, but if we got him to fold a hand like tens, that would be that'd be pretty nice. I, I would imagine the players described as never folding tens pre flop when they have like a hundred big blinds. Also like three forty isn't that small. Like if he calls it, even if the blinds fold, the SPR is like a little under one point five, right? Um, so... no. I no no no. I mean so that that guy started with nine hundred, so if he puts in three forty then he's gonna have five sixty behind and there's going to be about 900 in the pot. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's going to be super yeah. small. Sorry, I was doing it the other and way. And also, like, the, he's going to have such good odds that he's not going to fold any of his range, and I don't think the other players are ever going to fold, you know, a pocket pair. So I, I, just, I guess I think making it a larger sizing uh, is going to be best. I think making it something like 440, you might put the three better into a push fold situation and he's probably going to be pushing a lot but with ace king i don't think that's a terrible thing because it means we're going to get to realize our equity and we're i think we're going to force the other players out of the pot more which i think is going to be advantageous uh since we'll keep you know we'll we won't be out of position and that we won't be out of position for sorry i'm super cold if <laughs> if we go four ways to the pot with like 1200 in and you know, we're, we're playing 900 behind. It could get dicey. Not too dicey. I don't think that's a terrible outcome at all, holding ace-king. But I, I think it might be better to try and put force the action more with the three better and take it down preflop a certain amount of the time. Yeah, I, I can get behind that. I think 440 might be a little bit big, but I think maybe just like 400. I, I think I might like better than 340. Andrew, what are you thinking of this suggestion from Jack? Yeah, I think that makes sense because I'm pretty much always happy to get it in with the three better in this spot when I have ace king, and so if I if I put him in a little bit tougher uh, of a spot where it's like it makes less sense for him to flat call and more sense to either jam or fold, then I think that's pretty much the ideal situation. Just because I think his his getting his getting range is going to be really wide. Okay. Yeah. So so what hap- what happened in game? Okay. So. I make it 340, and the three better calls in middle position. The button folds, and the big blind calls. So we go three ways here to a flop with, uh, I think, about 1,100 in the pot. So flop comes 10-8-4 rainbow, and the big blind checks. So at this point, it's, again, the next kind of big decision, uh, whether to see bet or not see bet. The, I guess like a lot of times when I four bet, certainly when I have three bet and with, with ace king, uh, happy to kind of check it down. But in a four bet pot, I feel like my range is just weighted a lot more uh, heavily in this situation towards aces and kings and queens and ace king. Uh, so it feels 
it feels like a C-bet might be a little bit more warranted uh, in this kind of situation. However, the middle position player is pretty short at this point. He's only got maybe $550 left. And he's the, he's the player type who might not be looking to fold too many hands. Uh, certainly if he has some pairs in in his range at this point, and he finds this flop, perhaps he's going to be reluctant to, to uh, fold. Whether even He, he might have been set mining, but maybe just goes with it regardless. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, I, decision here. I, I actually don't, I don't really see a case for betting on this board. Uh, against the middle position player's range, you're either ahead or they're never going to fold, given the odds they're getting and the description of the player, I think. Uh, and then the big blind, you know, if you, if you let's say you bet, like, I don't know about shoving, but let, let's say you bet like a, a, a committing size and then the, the middle position player goes all in. If the big blind happen to have like jacks or queens here, I can't really imagine them folding. I think if you could know for sure they would always fold those hands, then I could probably get behind a bet. But I think you might even have a hard time folding nines if the big blind is a competent player. So I, I think the big blind has a ton of pairs, and on this board, uh, of the pairs they're going to call preflop with, if if they're a good professional player, they're going to call, I think, probably all the pairs because there's not much of a difference between, like, pocket twos and pocket tens in this spot. There's obviously a, a, a little bit of a difference, but not much. So, obviously, I think they have all the sets in their range are definitely eights and tens. And then I think if they were just, let's say, going to only call, like, sevens plus, well, they might fold sevens, but nines is in a tough spot and might call it off, and I don't think you can expect an overpair to fold. So I think I'm, I'm pretty comfortable checking this hand. Um, I have a couple questions. One, remind me what's Big Blind's stack size? So Big Blind covers all of us. And Big Blind is... He's... He's a reg, but he is not. The, he's definitely not the tightest reg uh, that there is. Yeah. So, so here's a case for betting. I'm not as convinced that Big Blind is con- going to continue with that many pairs, since you know we'll probably bet something like 600, five or 600 if we decide to bet. Maybe a little less, but we definitely would not want to bet too small. I don't think. Point is, if we bet, I think. Big blind, you know, who is like 1,900 deep with us, is not necessarily going to want to call with all those pairs, feeling like maybe he'll have to call off his whole stack. And a lot of times when that happens, we are going to be holding an overpair. So I'm not super worried about big blind just like calling down relentlessly. I think one case for checking would be if we feel like we're going to get a lot of great information from uh, from the three better because I think there's definitely a case on this board for checking our whole range especially if we feel like we're going to get get the three better to bluff some of his unpaired hands so if you think that's the case then or sorry if you think that's the case that you're going to get bluffed out of this pot by the three better when we check then I would be happier betting but if you think that the three better is likely just to probably bet value and not bluff shove a hand like ace queen here, then I like checking because we'll save money whenever that player has an overpair. Yeah, I think it's tough to say uh, what exactly he would do with certain parts of his range, but I do think that there's definitely merit to uh, 
say say we check and middle position jams and the big blind folds, there's definitely merit to calling off there, I think, versus this exact player type. I mean, if you think that we're going to have a profitable call when that player bets with ace-king, then I would probably just let that player bet for you and see if big blind decides to call. You know, if, if you're feeling good about calling that bet when big blind folds, then I think checking here will be really solid. One thing I would say, though, is, like, if you think big blind has a similar read as you and is going to really happily call any pair against the three betters shove here, then I think that's, also, that's a case for betting. We could also, you know, one thing that would be interesting would be, like, if we feel good against that range that the three better is going to shove here we could always you know check jam over the big blind <laughs> big blind's calling calling rain that'd, you know? be, that'd be kind of sick yeah it would, I, I, it would be it would be rather sick yeah i i think that i think that if we think the middle position player is going to be like let's say betting his entire three bet range that three uh four bet calling range here and we're ahead of that range i could definitely get behind checking um just because I think we have a very profitable call with the odds we're getting then, you know? Like, we, he doesn't need to have unpaired hands that much of the time for us to have a proper call, given the odds we're going to be getting. So I think that's further reason to check here, If like, regardless of what we think middle position is going to do, whether bluffing too much or not. And then we get more information about what the big blind is going to do. I, I think it might be ambitious to shove there. But I don't know. You tell me, Andrew, if this is like a reg, maybe like kind of a looser reg, but this might be a spot where, like, if he doesn't have a set, he folds, and then maybe I can get behind the check jam. Yeah, I think if if he were to call the if I check the middle position player shoves and the big blind calls, he's obviously I'm, he's definitely folding all pairs that haven't made a set. If I jam over the top. Oh well, then I think that's probably your best plan then to check and intend on jamming if that happens. It's high variance and you feel like an idiot when he has a set, but I think against that the likely range, it's like a super profitable play. I think it's especially if you think that he's going to check raise, or he's going to raise some of the times he has a set. I, I think that's unlikely. But who knows? The, the, the last thing I want to ask about this decision point is what you think the three better would have Five bet jammed preflop. Is that player five bet jamming ace king jacks plus, or do you think he's going to flat a hand like jacks? Uh, I think jacks is probably the bottom that he'll get in preflop. Um, I think tens and lower he probably flats. I think jacks and above he jams. And do you, think he, guess. do you think he has unpaired hands? Like, do you think he has all combos of ace-queen offsuit and ace-queen suited? Like, what other unpaired hands, unpaired hands does he sometimes have here? Yeah, I think I think he could have tons of unpaired hands here where he, where he flats the, uh, the, the four-bet preflop. And all sorts of ace-queen, ace-jack suited, ace, maybe even ace-ten suited, um, ace-queen offsuits, ace-jack offsuits, um, potentially something like... Jack-10 suited occasionally, but maybe not that many combos. Okay, well, if that's the case, then you're you're crushing that range, obviously, of his four-bet calling range. So just because combinatorically how much you know how likely a lot of these offsuit unpaired hands are. So yeah, I, I think that definitely makes checking clear, and then 
I think it's certainly close, though, in terms of, like, what we should do if the big blind calls. But I think you probably have to call a shove by this player if you check. So I don't know what actually happened. But uh, they don't have to be bluffing that much for this to be a correct call. Okay. So, well, I decided on the C-bet. And I sized it. I sized it pretty small, I guess, just because I uh, I went back to the uh, the notion of me having fairly strong hands here usually, and having not many draws out there on a pretty dry board. Uh, I bet I bet four hundred and twenty dollars into eleven hundred, so a little bit over a third of the pot. The middle position player folds. And the big blind snap calls. Okay. Yeah, and let me just let me just say, I actually think betting is probably the best play. Hmm. Because I think, I think it's lower variance. Uh, I do think big blind is going to fold some of some of his pairs. I worry that big blind could easily have a range that looks a lot like, you know, jacks through sevens. And against that range, like check jamming over like a ship call just is not super appealing to me. It's not like we have the three betters so crushed that like uh, as soon as we get big blind to fold, we're just printing money. So I, I do like to see a bet. I think this is one spot where you can get away with sizing a bit larger just because you have this player with like a really short stack relative to the size of the pot. So it's an unusual situation on this type of board texture where normally you would want to be betting pretty small with your range. But since that player is never going to call 440 or whatever you bet, they would always just, you know, jam for 540. Yeah. Or at least I think they would. I think you can definitely get away with sizing up a little bit, which I think is going to be advantageous because you might get a little bit more fold equity against the big blind. Right. Yeah, I'm not convinced that betting is the best play still, but I think that if you are going to bet, I'm kind of thinking of this as like a one and done because you're never folding after you're betting if the middle position guy goes all in. So you kind of just want to maximize fold equity, and I think you're going to get a disproportionate amount of fold equity from the big blind by adding an extra 150 or 200. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I think making it a little bit bigger since there's no difference uh, with the middle position player stack, maybe adding that little bit extra fold equity uh, adds a decent amount of value to it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what, what happens on the turn? And if you could just, for the, the listeners, recap kind of how much is in the pot now. and Sure. Okay, so as mentioned, I see bet 420, middle position player folds, big blind calls. Pot is now a little over 1900, 1930 or so. And the turn card is an offsuit king. So the board is 1084 king, full rainbow. And the big blind checks. So at oh. this point we have so at this point we have somewhere around a little under 1500 behind. Mhm. So and, we banked. Nice job. Yeah. Yep, so next decision is whether to go ahead and uh, bet this card or whether to check it back either to 
potentially pot control or whether it's just okay to um, bet and how much are we looking to bet? I think we should check. Uh, I just don't think that our opponent has very much incentive to cause with worse at this point. I don't think it's a given that you're always betting ace-king here. But, you know, when big blind calls with a hand like nines, like sevens, like jacks, that's obviously one of the hands he's hoping you might hold. You know, in addition to maybe some hands like six, seven suited, you know, he has five suited. But a king is not a great card for, for someone holding nines here. So I just think we might be in a situation where if we bet, we're really only getting called by better. So I like checking and giving our opponent an opportunity to turn some of his hands into a bluff. I don't know if that's going to happen very often. In fact, I would not think you were crazy if you folded to like a shove on the river. But yeah, I just don't think that we're going to get very much value at this point. Yeah, I agree. I think the player would have to be like pretty egregiously bad and like way looser than what uh, the type of player Andrew's described range will be pre-flop for this to be correct to bet. Um, yeah, I think we're going to check to side and depending on sizing, it's it's interesting because you said this is like a, you know, a looser, I'm gathering kind of weaker reg and this is also 5'10 and I'm, I'm used to playing more 2'5 but for a lot of players here if they shove on the river like, there's very few players that I'm really considering a call with this hand. So, I don't know how exploitable we can be against, you know, this this particular player. But I, I definitely like checking back on the river and think getting two streets of value or one additional street of value uh, is kind of ambitious enough as it is. Yeah, he's a reg, but he is from Italy, if that adds anything to the uh, description. Could you, I mean, so if he's a reg, like, as much as you're comfortable telling us about this player, like, what what are their tendencies, you know? Because, like, obviously, like, knowing they're a little bit loose and they're a reg is helpful, but more, like, what sure. are the types of mistakes they're making that you're seeing them play because you play in these games regularly? I mean, his his ranges tend to be a little bit wider than, uh, I mean, a lot of times the Bellagio 510 games, the regs, they tend to be pretty snug. They, uh somewhat nitty, but uh, they can, they can uh, add, you know, the occasional um, ace blocker to their three-bet and four-bet range occasionally. But for the most part, it's, it's pretty, pretty snug, pretty tight games uh, when, when the regs are, uh, you know, make up the majority of the lineup. And this player, he, he's definitely on the looser side of, of the regular players. So he, he can open all sorts of uh, suited hands. I've I played a hand with him in a prior episode, vlog episode, where he opened, I think, queen seven of spades from early position. Uh, so he's, his, it seems like his opening range is, is pretty decent, decently wide, and he, he definitely mixes it up here and there. But I don't know if that applies as directly to this hand, which is a four-bet hand. Exactly. Most people play really honestly in these spots, and it's more of like, are there any any type of... Have you seen him play in three-bet pots or post-flop in any kind of strange ways? Uh, I think it, I think it depends who he's up against. I think he'll probably widen uh, like his, his uh, opening and then calling versus a three-bet range uh, versus a recreational player. Um, but like I said, this is... 
in a four bet pot in this kind of situation, it's not something that happens too frequently. So it's tough to know like what he's, it's tough to think, it's tough to point to something he's done in the past in this kind of a situation. Um, but I think maybe versus more, uh, more typical regs, his, his three bet and four bet calling range might be a little bit more narrow. Okay. Yeah. So this is uncharted territory in terms of what he's doing on the flop and the turn here. Right. Uh, so given that we don't know, I think it's definitely best to pot control and evaluate on the river in position. Right. Okay. So I did the opposite of that and I went ahead and bet it and I bet $680 and the big blind then jams for our remaining stack. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I could see as like a, as a default position in like a tougher five ten game making a crying call here, but from my experience playing live poker, the average person that we don't know enough about is just never bluffing enough here for this to be a profitable call. So that's my first reaction. Yeah, I mean for this, I think for this to be a bluff, it has to one like one this player would have had to have something that he wanted to call with on the flop that he now wants to bluff. And likely that's going to be a pair. And then he would have to think that you were going to fold a hand like ace-king or, or aces. And also understand that like you could be holding kings here uh, and accept that risk. So I, I think we have to fold. Uh, but I mean, I've people surprised surprised me like you know you might fold and he turns over ace king and then we feel like an idiot sure yeah so i mean so it was 800 to win uh four thousand dollars ish i think is the uh the math and uh yeah i mean uh, that, those are good odds <laughs> <laughs> it's a decent price i agree with you though that it's just uh just a pretty terrible situation now that uh i think i think it's I think it's less important. I think the uh, the I think when, once I think once you go ahead and bet the turn and uh, there's that little money behind, it's somewhat less important. Um, although still pretty important because it's still something like eight hundred dollars, which is almost a hundred big blinds. It's eighty big blinds in a in a cash game, which is a pretty big deal to just call off with one pair. But uh, it's I think I think checking back on the turn is definitely the play that makes the most sense. Um, just because it's pretty tough for him to just have to call down with like jacks and uh, or nines, and um, there's not really too many cards that I'm worried about giving equity, giving a, giving a free card to. There's not there's not too many hands I'm worried about giving a free card to. So I think checking back on the turn probably makes the most sense. And then once you put yourself in this kind of a crappy situation, it's just. I don't know, just a little bit is what it is, I guess. So deciding to uh, just fully butcher the rest of the hand, I just decided to call it off since it's 800 to win 4K. So yeah, that was uh, that. was that, And uh, we are, in fact, drawing dead to the old pocket tens. So pretty, uh, pretty butchered in a couple spots, I think. And uh, lose the maximum. On it. And I think it's a spot, I think it's a hand where we didn't have to lose the maximum in a couple uh by making a couple different decisions. But yeah, that's yeah, all I, mean, I, I think the turn is a check. I think the flop is still up in the air. It'll be interesting. We always do a podcast breakdown where we 
try and use software to come up with a more concrete answer to these questions. And we can test a couple of things and see what the flop looks like. But, you know, when you're getting such a good price, a call, you know, that call could have been lighting $100 on fire, but it doesn't take that much weird stuff going on to become right. So I still think the fold was right, but, you know, I think it's like a, a general rule of thumb against players. Or it, it just, it's really exploitative to fold here. I definitely understand just calling here uh, with such a good price, thinking that, you know, you're not ready to say it 100% of the time this guy has a set. Yeah, I think uh, I, I agree with you that sometimes, I mean, Oftentimes in uh, in live poker, you just see things that are uh, somewhat baffling, and um, I think, but I think like like we kind of alluded to earlier, uh, I think I might have let some of his some of the big blinds tendencies uh, and other uh, hand types, like some of his ranges in normal or three bet hands, three bet pots, um, affect my decision making a little bit, thinking he could be wider than he was in in this exact situation. Yeah, I think that's kind of like a common a common thing. I mean, I of course sometimes still do it, but I used to see a lot more in my game and seeing like new students games where it's like, oh, the guy was really loose preflop, so I called off his four bet shove on the flop, and he had top set. Obviously, this isn't the same exact scenario, but I think right. generally even like very loose players, just very few people in general, whether professional or not professional, just kind of have the balls. And I mean, obviously it's. The way we see it is not having the balls. It's just like playing, you know, in a more balanced way. But to a lot of people, don't have the balls to make like really big bluffs to the frequency that they need to. So I think as like a general rule, like making hero calls in spots when people never bluff is just not a good idea unless you've seen evidence of it before. And I will say that I came back from uh, Los Angeles recently where getting it in here is m- a much better idea than it is in uh, a Bellagio 510 game in Las Vegas. <laughs> one, one thing I will just add in your defense is I think big blind, I, I think there are some times where big blind basically always starts the hand with like uh, ace-queen suited and jacks through sevens. But I also think, uh, I, I think queens is also possible. But I also think that you gave him a pretty great price uh, to see the flop. So I think a lot of the speculative hands that he shows up with, that he, that he calls the 3-bet with, are going to come see this flop for this price. So, you know, if he if he had something like 9-10 that he's getting antsy with, or even I, I, I think the one hand that you're beating here, or at least you're drawing with, a decent amount is ace-king. Like, I think ace-king is possible. Uh, it's It would be weird. But, you know, it makes up, like, maybe 3 to 5% of the equity you need to make this call. So, yeah, I, I guess all I'm saying is that given the price pre-flop, I wouldn't be surprised if his range is a little bit wider than I'm thinking. Then again, I, th- I think we should probably play sort of thinking that his range is going to be fairly narrow on this spot. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think Ace-King, is it's a possibility. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to uh, take a different line, uh, particularly pre-flop. But it, I would expect him to. I'd expect him to put in a 4-bet himself pre-flop with Ace-King, but it's tough to know. It's tough to know, like, it's tough to really pigeonhole uh, people's ranges in in uh, 
these three bet four bet type hands with uh, in a live in a live setting in a live cash game, your your sample size is often much smaller uh, than it is maybe in online games. But but yeah, I think uh, I think there was maybe one or two things there we could have done differently to uh, to minimize the losses. Yeah, well. Obviously, you're still, you know, crushing it in Vegas on the content side as well as the poker side. So, I wouldn't worry too yeah, much I mean, about it. Just, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to uh, uh, put this hand out there is because uh, I think it's important. Like, I'm not sure um, how you guys might describe your listener base, but I mean, I know a lot of times people are just like, you know, super reluctant to share hands with people where. Um, they either lose the maximum or it's pretty clear that they made a mistake here or there. And, uh, I think that's like something that holds people back. Uh, it's pretty important to talk about your, your mistakes, I think. And, uh, a lot of times people only want to share the ones where they, um, they, they played it well, or it was like really close or what have you, but, um, hands where you butcher, uh, something from time to time, I think, um, are super important to uh to share whether that's in a forum or with your fellow poker players or or what have you agreed yeah very very important to be honest about you know your results and and how you're thinking about hands yeah if you've listened to any of this show you'll know that i agree with you i've brought on some hands (laughs) that i've absolutely butchered and some hands that i still think i played well but i probably butchered so right you're in the right place (laughs) <laughs> good. This is a, it's good to know I'm in a safe zone here. Safe space, exactly. Yeah. Great. So before we ask you some questions, Andrew, do you want to just plug the vlog for um, you know any of our listeners that haven't checked your stuff out yet, and just kind of give them an idea of like what Andrew Nimi's uh, YouTube channel has to offer? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's yep. That's it's. it's it's just youtube.com slash Andrew Nimi, and it's, uh, it's me out on the grind for the most part. I've uh, been living in Las Vegas for a little over eight years, and I uh, have been playing poker full-time that entire time. So just decided to uh, kind of turn the camera on and capture the, uh, the day-to-day life um, that playing poker full-time entails in Las Vegas as well as traveling to like some other places like uh, Los Angeles. Uh, also went to New Orleans recently and played down there and have been to Chicago and played over there. So checking out some games in some other locations and going over some hands pretty similar to this format. Um, put the, uh, the, heart, the hands card graphics up on the screen so it's easy for people to follow along. And then uh, just, yeah, checking out like some hidden gems around Las Vegas as well, like some of my favorite bars and restaurants and uh, stuff like that. Also some cool drone footage here and there, if that's your thing. Uh, bust out the drone from time to time. So all sorts of, uh, all sorts of fun stuff uh, around Las Vegas and beyond. 